0: If you have diabetes, you've likely thought quite a bit about your beta cells, or maybe you haven't, because beta cells are a pretty complicated business. Luckily, there are a host of scientists working on ways to better understand the beta cells of people with diabetes, to understand how they work, why they sometimes stop working, and what we can do to repair them. I'm Krista Lam, and today on the Diabetes Canada podcast, I'm talking to Dr. Christine Doucette from the University of Manitoba and the Children's Hospital Research Institute of Manitoba about her work on beta cells and type 2 diabetes. So welcome to the show, Dr. Doucette. It is awesome to have you here. Thank you for having me. And so I want to talk a little bit about your work because you do some pretty fascinating stuff. So you work um, with beta cells and you do things with Islet cells, I understand, and so many different things. And so if you were explaining it to a lay person mm-hmm. who didn't understand all of this complicated stuff, what would you tell them that you do? So
1: we study different aspects of type 2 diabetes specifically. Um, and we're trying to figure out how and why the pancreatic beta cell stops making enough insulin to support um, metabolic health. So um, we have a couple of different projects that we work on in our lab. One is understanding daily circadian rhythms and how they contribute to the regulation of insulin secretion and how that goes wrong in diabetes or how maybe circadian disruption can lead to diabetes. But we also do um, other work where we're looking at genetic variants and diet interactions and how that can contribute to earlier onset and youth onset type
0: 2 diabetes in children. And that's one of the things that I really think is interesting. You work as part of the DREAM team, as they're called, in uh, Manitoba, Mm -hmm. working on a lot of projects that have to do with Indigenous youth and Indigenous people living with type 2 diabetes and some of the really unique issues that they face. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, just the overall general um, work that's being done there. So you are right.
1: We are a part of the DREAM team, which stands for uh, Diabetes Research Envisioned and Accomplished in Manitoba. Um, And it's a wonderful group, to be a part of because we've got doctors and basic scientists like myself working side by side trying to figure out um, right from the cell level to you know the mental health level even what's happening with um, kids uh, getting type 2 diabetes in manitoba so if you don't know um, we have one of the highest rates of uh, youth onset type 2 diabetes in the world in manitoba and unfortunately disproportionately affected our indigenous youth and there's a number of reasons for this Um, one particular aspect that I study is a a very specific genetic variant um, that seems to associate with these kids um, developing type 2 diabetes. Um, And we think there is an interaction between um, a post-colonial diet um, that happened after colonization um, and the the loss of traditional lifestyle and traditional culture, um, which is essentially contributing to the development of diabetes in these kids.
0: And I think one of the interesting things about this, and we've talked a lot about the book Diagnosing the Legacy on the podcast, uh, which is a book about the work that has been done in Manitoba on indigenous children who Mm -hmm. are being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and on this variant. And one of the very cool things about your work is that when this was first discovered, there there wasn't a way to really look as deeply into this. But now through all of these years, we've been able to really go to another level with how we can look at it. So the work you're doing is really building on that. Mm-hmm. And so something that we weren't able to really understand completely, and I don't know that we do yet, but that we weren't able to understand on one level, we now are able to. So I think that's a really fascinating part. I agree with
1: you. Um, so I'm, I'm actually originally from Toronto. Um, and when I interviewed for the current position that I have, I met Dr. Heather Dean, who um, is a pioneer in this field. She was the, one of the clinicians that first diagnosed kids with type two diabetes. And the entire book about diagnosing the legacy is around that story and that history. Um, and I'm very honored actually, to be in sort of the last chapter of it, the new hope section, uh, where um, I get to contribute to the next step, like you said. Um, and one of the reasons we're able to make this next step is because technology is ever evolving. Scientific advances are ever you know, coming. And one of the newest things that's come along that we can do is now we can take a cell and we could take a mouse and we can rewrite the genetic sequence. And so this for the first time allows us to put these genetic variants into a system that we can actually study um, what's happening at a molecular or cellular level. We couldn't do this before. So this opens up a whole new door of possibilities for you know learning um, or discovering new therapeutic targets, new pathways that might be involved, new things that we might be able to do to better treat uh, these kids that are getting type 2 diabetes so young.
0: And it's interesting because you work with people like Dr. Brandy Wicklow, who is looking, she's a pediatric endocrinologist who is working with many of these children and mm-hmm. their families, and she's looking at the intergenerational um, diabetes. So you have people who are, you know, often, um, you know, they you know, got type 2 diabetes, In childhood, which is rare, and then when they were ready to have their own families, then the risk of their children Mm -hmm. developing type 2 diabetes young also is high, and so she's looking at all of that stuff from the view of a clinician, and Mm -hmm. you are looking at some of this stuff from the view of a basic scientist, so I think that's really amazing how you're able to collaborate, and could you tell me just a little bit more about how you work together? So one of the
1: reasons I was very excited about the opportunity about moving to Manitoba to take on or to begin my research, um, lab there was because of people like Brandy Wicklow and Heather Dean, um, who have spent their careers doing the clinical side of things. Um, and, you know, describing the situation of what these kids actually look like in the clinic, you know, and then because of what they've been able to convey to us and communicate to us on the basic science side, we can essentially reverse engineer what they're seeing in cells and in our, in our animals. Um, and so working unfortunately Heather has retired um, but has passed the legacy on if you will to people like Brandy Wicklow Um, and you know we have a very strong collaboration where even though we work in very different um, systems if you will we work side by side we meet regularly we discuss the findings on both sides she's opening to listening about the molecular biology I'm open to listening about um, the clinical side of things, and it really just ends up being this beautiful collaboration. And some of the grants and study, the, the grants that we've written and we we've had funded, and we're hoping to get funded, and some of the studies we're about to publish, they really come off as, you know, um, uh, you, translational. You know, we're really doing something, in my opinion, that um, we're we're starting with the kids at the at the bed, and bringing it back to the bench, and we're going to get it back to help those kids and hopefully get them out of the bedside and into the playground
0: and what i love is you had mentioned earlier the look at the traditional diet mm-hmm. because one of the things that you hypothesize from your work is that the change from the traditional diet that people in indigenous cultures were were eating and and now to this diet that has a lot of processed food mm-hmm. is very different mm-hmm. that you know that their physiology is not able to handle that and so that's sort of why you're sort of seeing this type 2 diabetes mm-hmm. onset and i'm probably not saying that as well as you will but what I liked about that was that now with working with someone in the on the dream team and working with clinicians and working with people in public health, you're able to take that sort of finding and translate it into something that could potentially become public policy. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, that's the ultimate goal, um, in my opinion right now with this current research, um, is I don't have illusions of you know developing a new drug, but what I'd like to see happen is provide real empirical evidence that... You know, this group, this diet or this set of macronutrients is, you know, it's not helping the health of people who carry this variant. And that if we can somehow, you know, improve food security, allow access to traditional foods and things and that um, are better or more reflective of a time when this community, community was quite healthy, because um, diabetes was rare in this in this population even 50 to 100 years ago, so so if we can go back and sort of reintroduce those foods, but it's not easy to do. You can't just do it with saying to people, "Hey, eat this," and you know you should be eating fish or you should be eating, you know, moose or whatever the traditional food might be. Um, we need the government. We need you know money. We need you know we need help. We can't just expect people to do it on their own because it's really not an easy thing to do. You know.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I found it so fascinating because you um, you gave a talk today and I was able to watch that. And you talked a lot about the work that you're doing in terms of looking at what it was like 100 years ago mm-hmm. if you were living in Manitoba and you were living off the land. So you would have very, you know, you, you made the point about what you had access to in the winter in Manitoba mm-hmm. would be a very um, low-carb diet because mm-hmm. it'd be very difficult to get that sort of food. And so... It was really interesting to see you looking at the history and how it played out mm-hmm. to what we're seeing today with these gene variants. Mm-hmm. I'm by no means an expert in
1: you know traditional diets of indigenous people, but I'm fortunate enough to work closely with some indigenous partners that are kind enough to take their time and explain to me um, what once was and what is now. Um, and in learning from that, we're hoping that you know we can improve the health of these kids. Um, and, you know, it's a very exciting thing to be a part of, for sure.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It sounds like there's so much going on there. And, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, aside from the work itself, which is, is fascinating, is you have become known um, in the community as such an incredible mentor. And you spoke at the Diabetes Canada Conference recently to a number of the trainees and young scientists about what it's like to sort of, you know, take the leap to becoming a, a principal investigator, starting your own lab, to doing this, and and the things that you sort of have to, the barriers you have to face, and things you have to deal with, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that, because I know it it blew up on social media and the diabetes (laughs) channels, (laughs) people were really, really happy that someone was able to be a little bit vulnerable, and have those conversations, and be kind of real about it, and Mm -hmm. so I wanted to just touch base with you about that a little
1: bit. So it's interesting, because, you know, last night at Vancouver Diabetes Research Day Career Panel, one of the questions you asked as the moderator of the panel was, was what are you most proud of? And, you know, there's you could be proud of scientific accomplishments. You can be proud of, you know, the success and creation of jobs of your trainees that move on. But I'm most proud of the fact that, you know, I feel like I I mentor more than just my own students. Like if I'm at a conference, I'm proud of the fact that students are comfortable enough to approach me and ask me personal questions um, because not everybody is approachable. So I take a lot of pride in... And having, I guess, that nature that people feel comfortable. That being said, I'm also horribly honest, um, and I'm not afraid of my. I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of my mistakes, and I don't try to bury them and hide them. So when students ask me questions about well, what's, what's, you know, do you have any regrets? If you could change anything, what would you change? I, I don't try to sugarcoat it. I tell them exactly what happened, how it made me feel you know, any mental health issues I might have experienced along the way that most people don't like to talk about. I, I think that's part of why the students trust me a little bit to come to me and ask me certain questions. You know, it's just that openness and that they know they're going to get the truth whether they want it or not. They're going to hear it.
0: <laughs> I, th- I think there's something really great about that because, I mean, one of the things that people ask you all the time is, work-life balance and having a family and these are things that in some cases are really specific Mm -hmm. to female investigators and as much as we may wish that wasn't the case a lot of women who are starting their careers they have those types of questions and they want to talk to someone who's doing it so Mm -hmm. successfully and i think that it's really great that you're open and and willing to talk to them because Mm. we need those mentors or we're not going to have a lot of women inside
1: (laughs) yeah i think when it comes to things like work-life balance um i think it's I, i i struggle with having a rule that fits all, everybody's different, everyone's unique, and um, people have to work out what works best for their situation, no two people are the same, so, you know, I've, I've struggled with finding that balance at times, but I think the most important thing if here I go, I'm mentoring again, but I think the most important thing that students need to do is not feel guilty if, you know, they lose the balance for a little bit, but figure out a way to make themselves happy after, like, don't blame yourself or hate yourself because you're busy, you know, you can, you can You might find balance by, you know, doing something, taking a couple days off work later if you have to work extra hours today. You know what I mean? And so I try to encourage students to not get uh, too stressed out about trying to find a balance. If they feel a little unbalanced, it will come and you just have to do what works for you.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think that's very true. And uh, I'm just going to say, if anybody can hear the noise in the background, we're actually recording this <laughs> at UBC and uh, the students are are all around us. So it's a little bit louder than usual, but it's kind of also great because we've had a great day today seeing some amazing young scientists presenting their work. Mm-hmm. And, it's been
1: fantastic.
0: Yeah. And getting to do that. So we have talked a lot um, over the time about some of the things that you've got going on, and I want to know what you're most excited about for the future because you have some really interesting projects going on. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about a lot of
1: things. I mean, just being at this conference or the symposium today, there's been a lot of suggestions about experiments that we can try um, with this genetic variant in the diet studies. And so I'm going on with a list of about 10 new things to, to progress onto. Um, I'm excited to recruit some new students, actually. Um, so I'll put it out there that if you're interested in, in doing any of this research, I'm more than happy to sit and chat with you and see, uh, or with, with people who are interested, uh, you know, if there's a spot for them in my lab, uh, because with all these new ideas, you need people to work on them. So I'm just really excited about it all moving forward. Um, it's, you know, I gave that keynote lecture this morning, and there's a lot of reflection that happens when you put all of your data into one place and you see it all in a package and you, you feel a sense of pride of, wow, we've actually really accomplished a lot in a short period of time. But you also realize you're going to blink again and you're going to have that much more. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about the speed at which things are progressing. We're going to get into some, some really cool single cell RNA-seq um, studies where we can look at the gene expression changes on a global level within individual cell types. And we should get some really interesting information out of those studies. That'll take us down paths that we never imagined. So I'm excited for that adventure. So yeah. there's, there's lots to look forward to and lots happening.
0: And it's funny is that when I saw you speak today and you were taking questions, one of the things I really loved about how you handle things is sometimes people will ask you these things and have you done this and have you done this? And, and when you see people responding, sometimes they get a little bit like defensive or they're like, well, no, or yes, but you're just like, oh. Well, we haven't yet, but that's a really great idea and maybe mm-hmm. we will moving forward. And I thought, what a wonderful way to just say, you know what, that's a really cool idea. Thank you for, for your feedback.
1: You know, other people's point of views, you know, are, are extremely important, but they see things I don't see. Right, so having other people with other expertise look at my work with a different lens and offer that is so much appreciated because these are things I would never come up with myself, and they're fantastic ideas. Yeah, you know, so you it's you, you just gotta it's important to listen to those types of questions and then I have to write them down because
0: I'll forget. (laughs) Well, it was a lot of information. You had amazing questions today and a lot of them because it was a wonderful presentation and I'm so glad that we had the chance to to chat about this. Thank
1: you, me too. I appreciate being
0: here. Awesome. So a huge thank you to Dr. Doucette for joining us today. If you'd like more information on this topic or others related to diabetes, visit diabetes.ca or contact Diabetes Canada at info at diabetes.ca. You can also find us on all the social media platforms at Diabetes Canada and if you would like to subscribe to the show we'd certainly appreciate it you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify or the podcast provider of your choice and don't forget to rate and review us it really helps other people to find the show thanks for listening